Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am so excited because I just came back from that U.S. state-sponsored trip to Japan. And to all of my friends in Japan, love you, miss you, but I will be keeping in touch with you. And actually to all the other countries that are listening to the show, uh, I appreciate it so much. I know we're going to end up having a huge following in Japan. People are wonderful. The independent Living Center, the people that are leading on, um, just so many wonderful people. And guess what, Yoshiko Dart, special shout out to you. Guess what? I was with your friends, Yoshiko, in Japan and saw the signs everywhere lead on. And they love you. They all know you. um, And I, I can't wait to talk to you in person. Well, we have to thank our sponsors. We have a lead sponsor, Highmark. And Highmark has been our sponsor for a couple years. And I just want to tell you, this company is so awesome. They are so committed to people with disability and employment. I could not speak highly enough of them. And you know, I am all about employment, all about training with our new product, I Disability. But I especially love companies that care about quality of life for people living with disabilities. And that is why I am so excited to have Jennifer Cobb from. Cox Communications with us today. She is the Director of Diversity Products, and may I say, this is a company that has made a commitment to inclusion for people with disabilities. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, we're excited to have you, and I thought we could begin Uh, by you telling our listeners around the world about Cox Communications, you know, what you do and how large the organization is, just some information about the company. Sure. Um, So Cox Communications is a broadband communications and entertainment company. We provide advanced digital video, internet, telephone, as well as home security and automation services. Uh, We're actually the third largest U.S. cable company, and we serve approximately 6 million residences and businesses across the country. So um, we're also well-known for um, our pioneering efforts in the cable, telephone, and commercial services, um, also industry-leading customer care, and our outstanding workplaces. So for nine years, Cox has been recognized as the top operator for women uh, by Women in Cable Telecommunications and consistently ranked in Diversity, Inc.'s top 50 uh, companies for diversity, um, making that list over 11 times. Wow, congratulations. And you know what? I did not know that part you just talked about 
uh, with women. That that is really yeah. awesome. Yes, we're proud to to work with WICT. So, uh, Jen, what do you do at Cox? What is your position, and mm-hmm. what is your role? What do you do? So, as you said, my title um, specifically is the Director of Diversity Products, which includes um, accessibility here at Cox Communications. So, um, my role is to ensure that our products and services that we provide to all of our customers are accessible um, to persons with disabilities. Um, another program under, um, under my purview is to increase broadband adoption and close the digital divide uh, for families uh, with uh, children in low-income situations. Um, so providing accessibility regardless of income um, or ability is really where um, my focus lies. So I'm very fortunate to be able to make a difference every day in the lives um, of people, whether it be providing services that are critical um, from an Internet perspective um, in serving their home or um, making their service and their entertainment experience more enjoyable and usable um, from, from all perspectives. You know, um, when I hear you talking about all of this, I'm thinking, and this shows you how dedicated she is to disability. If you would meet her, you would think that's all she's doing. I mean, even though she has this huge responsibility. So I guess my point there is, sadly, I've met some companies where although this domain falls beneath them, Mm-hmm. They don't put a lot of emphasis on it the way you do, um, and I certainly appreciate what you do. I have a question for you. Um, I bet that does really impact you, that uh, digital divide, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the difference with people that have and don't have. I- I'm sure that does impact you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, in the markets that we serve, um you know, we, we serve um, several markets across the country, um, west to east coast. And so seeing the impact um, of what, you know, life-changing um, events can happen when people are given the opportunity, right? Um, no longer are children having to um, pick up and go to uh, a library or um, a local restaurant like a McDonald's or a Starbucks to do their homework, but they're actually able to sit in their own home and do homework. Because as we know more and more um, of the education today in this technology-driven world is done online. And so it really is essential for them to have um, internet service at home with which to to do their studies and and be on equal playing field uh, with the rest of their peers. And that is so true. And you know what? That That is interesting when you think that the digital divide is so connected to performance and education. Because just as you said, today, education, online, uh, and imagine here's this one set of kids that are at home and have this, of course, instantly – and then there's this other group that, no, we don't have it, and I'll have to go somewhere to get that. Um, right. and, and you can see how that would put someone behind. Exactly. 
you know, in so many cases, and I guess I never thought of it that way before, um, but I can see where that would have an impact. For example, what if they didn't have a ride to wherever this is? You know, mm-hmm. what if they, you know, have to factor into their uh, whole life, okay, at what time someone can get me to the library and what time can someone get me back? And, you know, what if they have a single parent? I mean, you know, there are exactly. so many things that impact them. So you are really changing lives, you know, when you do this. Uh, exactly. So that, that's a great thing. Well, yeah, we're very okay. proud of our, um, our program, Connect to Compete. So our discounted internet service um, for families with children who qualify through the National Free School Lunch Program. So, Connect to Compete. I love that. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? What is that program you're talking about with, with the schools? What, what are you talking about? Um, so families who uh, receive government assistance uh, through the National School Lunch Program, so either free or reduced school lunch, um, that those families would qualify for um, our Connect to Compete service. Oh, that is so great. That is great. Well, Jen, back to my world for a minute, talking about digital accessibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, what, what is the commitment at Cox to digital accessibility? So at Cox, accessibility fits very closely um, with our core values as a company. So we're focused um, on helping our customers discover and connect to the things that they care about most in ways that are easy to use and reliable, all of the qualities of making a good accessible product. Um, We believe in the concept of universal design And we believe that by building for accessibility, you're actually making the product better for everyone. I think all of us can kind of relate to many of those technologies that we all use today, um, Siri and Alexa. So a lot of our our products and features are based on that uh, philosophy that by making the product uh, and designing the product for accessibility and the, the universal design, it's actually better and more useful for everyone. Um, in the area of digital accessibility specifically, um, we've kind of evolved over the years. So historically, our approach um, was very reactive, uh, very much resulting from changing regulations and limited bandwidth and funding. So back in, say, 2014, 2015, um, we really started to dip our toe into the area of accessibility, doing a few audits uh, of our existing products and our existing websites. Um, However, with uh, the changes that are constantly taking place in the regulatory environment um, and those that were continuing to mature, we began to take a more proactive approach. So rather than wait until the end and do an audit of here's here's, how you're scoring and then having to go back and both from a time and a cost perspective remediate issues, we thought, you know, why not get ahead of it and be proactive in, um, you know, incorporating accessibility requirements in our design approach, in our business requirements, um, so that you're, you're really being uh, more forward-thinking. Um, so in December of 2016, we uh, built, thanks to the support of our senior leaders who are, who are very um, committed to accessibility, 
we built a dedicated competency uh, within the product organization, and that's my team. So we began to implement um, accessibility style guides, development checklists, um, and since that time, we've been able to work with partners like Bender um, and, and others in the digital accessibility space. Um, we're very thankful to work with AudioEye, um, which we're now integrating um, automated accessibility testing into our development process. So that means that as our developers are creating code and deploying it, we're automatically um, testing for accessibility and and looking at issues that appear and remediating them real time. Um, as part of that, we're training our technology teams on how to build um, for accessibility in the digital space, how to test for accessibility, because we know that 50%-ish uh, of the issues uh, can be caught through automated testing, but the other 50% really need to be done manually through uh, the usability of someone using assistive technology or per using persons with disabilities utilizing assistive technology. So we're in the process of training those teams on what it looks like um, to test that way. Um, it's definitely, we kind of use the analogy, it's like learning a new language many times for our development and, and QA teams. Um, but we're making really great progress. Um, so while, you know, it's, it's definitely a work in progress, we've come a really long way since um, 2016 when we formed our dedicated accessibility program here, and we're definitely beginning to make progress in improving uh, the accessibility of our digital properties. Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, your company's awesome. You are, so it's honor to work with you. Um, and... AudioEye, you know, they, they are a great company um, mm -hmm. and, and have done so much to support the disability community and, like Highmark, uh, over the years, this radio show. But, you know, it takes someone leading the way, and that would be you. Jen, you are doing <laughs> a great job. So with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Jennifer Cobb, the Director of Diversity Products at Cox Communications with a real commitment to people with disabilities. We will be back in a couple minutes. This is Joyce Bender, Disability Matters. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. 
I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We are talking to Jen Cobb, the Director of Diversity Products at Cox Communications and a real commitment to people with disabilities. Um, You know, if you meet her, you're not only going to like her, you're going to be just amazed at how committed she is to accessibility across the board. And I wanted to ask you about that, uh, Jen. I have noticed that when I talk about digital accessibility, right, well, number one, people think of people who are blind. And, right. you know, that's, that's it. But it really is so much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. And could you talk about that for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, um Obviously, there are some legal requirements um, which uh, websites uh, should meet, including Section 255, which covers voice, and CBAA, which covers voice, video, and two-way communications, in addition to ADA Title III. So at Cox, as I mentioned earlier, we look at the design. We try to design our products. Uh, and our website using the digital accessibility universal design approach. Um, and we design to meet those standards, but also work to ensure uh, that our web and mobile applications can be easily used. So is it usable and is it navigable by all users? So not just those who are blind, but those who have uh, low vision, so color contrast issues and font sizes, et cetera. Um, auditory or motor motor disabilities. So practically, um, that means you know the design and the colors that we choose and the fonts that we use and the um, the key keyboard inputs that we take um, from a person who is deaf or hard of hearing. That it means that when we have videos on our website, that we want to include transcript files um, to ensure that they're closed captioned as well. So really, again, taking that holistic design approach and ensuring that everyone, regardless of assistive technology, um, is able to access the same information. And, yeah, that, as I said... When I mention this to a lot of people, they'll say, oh, yeah, you mean make it accessible for someone who is blind, which, of course, that is and has always been, you know, at the forefront when you talk about Mm -hmm. digital accessibility. But it does include people who are deaf. It does include people with learning disabilities or mobility issues. I mean, it is just, as you said, holistic, so 
uh, encompassing. And that is why it takes so much work. I mean, I can't imagine for any company how much work that takes. Yes, it it definitely, um, you know, kind of resets how how you do things as a company. But I don't think it's unique um, for accessibility. So there's lots of other things that, you know, from a web perspective, we have to do for security and PII and, um, you know, keeping people's personal information secure. So I think accessibility is, you know, not unique in the, in the approach. I think a lot of companies um, struggle with how to integrate it, but when you think about um, the processes that you, you do to design and develop for the web and all of the standards with which you are to meet, if you insert accessibility at the beginning, it's, it really makes um, the process much smoother. I think it's one that companies... Um, can be familiar with and, and grasp onto. You know, when we equate it to uh, the work that they have to do for security, it really seems to click, right? Like, this is a standard with which you are going to meet, and if you design and develop for it at the beginning, it really makes the process much smoother um, from a development perspective and a testing perspective in the end. Yeah, and... It really does so much. I tell people when you do this, it's just good business sense because mm-hmm. the more accessible you are, the more people are going to be able to use your mm-hmm. products. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, you really can't argue with, uh, with numbers and knowing, um, you know, from a business perspective, um, I'm very fortunate to work for a company where I, be- I very much believe that even if it were a, a single person, it's the right thing to do and we would do it. But knowing that, you know, around 15% of the population, one in three households, has someone who self-identifies as having a disability, plus on top of that, the number of uh, aging customers who may not self-identify as having a disability, but, you know, 10,000 people are turning 65 every day, developing natural um, disabilities over time and knowing that they can benefit from these services as well, I think um, adds to the, the argument and the justification for, for you know, developing um, an accessibility program and, and, and building for it because, you know, the, the number of people who are impacted um, by this or know someone who, who is, right, like, um, it could be any of us at any time who need uh, these um, accessible products and services or we know a loved one who is, um, and it, it's just the right thing to do. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think there are corporations, even you know, many large corporations, that really aren't understanding that this is something you have to do? Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions um, about the cost associated with um, with testing and remediating for accessibility. I know when we started to um, to get into this, you know, there there was a lot of concern around around the cost. However, I think if you do it the right way and the approach that we've taken, 
is really to draw that line in the sand, right, that says from this day forward, we are going to design and develop accessibly, um, and then looking at those legacy applications and based on, you know, usage and whether or not um, they're going to be redesigned in the future, determining a path to remediate existing things. Um, But once you're able to um, begin to inject accessibility requirements at the beginning of a project, it just becomes part of what you do. So is there a cost associated with it? Obviously, um, there is. Um, But when you do it at the beginning, the cost is much less than when you have to go back and fix it later. And so no company um, wants to incur a cost from, um, you know, litigation or bad publicity from not doing it. Um, So it's really better all around if you're able to, um, to do it the right way at the beginning. So I'm fortunate here that, as I said, my company um, firmly, from senior leaders all the way down, um, believed in this um, being the right thing to do. And so we're prioritizing it uh, within the business. So while there are some remediation that needs to happen, um, you know, to fix legacy-type things, um, as we go forward, we're working to educate all of our technology teams and our product teams that um, this is how you build and design for accessibility. So I think a, a lot of companies really struggle with, with that and also how to get started. So um, knowing, you know, something that can seem so daunting, um, how, what's, what's really needed and how much is it going to cost, um, I think you know, taking a holistic look at your company's um, digital footprint and, and the products and services that you offer and prioritizing those based on biggest impact to your, to your customer base is the place to start and knowing that, you know, making progress is a win. While you may not, you know, be able to fix everything today, if you're able to really get um, the foundation in place um, you'll be able to develop new things accessibly. And so when you look back at your, at your footprint and all of the products and services that you're offering, you're going to begin over time to have more things accessible than not. So I think level setting um, and having realistic prioritization and, and just a really good project plan um, is a way to combat that um, misconception, right? Because if you don't have the foundation in place, you're going to, you know, be in the same position. You know, again, you really have to begin training and educating your teams so that, you know, it's, it's part of doing business and it's not something that you just can, you know, do one time. It needs to be ongoing. Yes. And, um, as you said earlier, the return on investment. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, but right now we've got to get ready to go to break and then we'll be back with our On the Half Hour update, policy update, Advocacy Matters. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters 
at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Jennifer Cobb, the Director of Diversity Products from Cox Communications. And it is our half hour news break on policy. And we always are so excited to have Perry Jude Radisick, the CEO of the Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania, which I am so honored to serve on that board. Give us an update on what's going on. Perry Jude, give us that update. Hey, Joyce, thanks. And and Jennifer, thanks for being on Joyce's show. It's uh, been a great program. You know, Congress is always always uh, working on issues related to people with disabilities, Joyce, and last week it was no different. The United States Senate, the Special Committee on Aging, held a hearing to explore the, ex- uh, to explore the exploitation of older Americans by guardians. The chair of that committee is Susan Collins from Maine, and of course our own Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, our senator, is the ranking member of that committee. And as we know, a guardian is a person appointed by the court to make certain decisions on behalf of a person who has been determined by that court to be incapacitated. So we really want to discourage people from using guardianships because a guardian has the power, so much power over a person, such as where a person gets to live and all of their financial decisions. And Senator Casey said in his opening remarks, 
guardianship doesn't only impact older Americans, it can affect adults of all ages, including people with disabilities. So fully protecting the rights and freedoms of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, as well as all people with disabilities, is a top issue for Congress and for organizations like ours, Disability Rights Pennsylvania, the ARC, and so many other great organizations. And we know societal attitudes have evolved over the last 40 years, thanks to groups like ours and the ARC, and, but guardianship still exists. We have 1.5 million Americans still subject to guardianship. And that system to obtain a guardian doesn't always protect a person with a disability. So our job is to make sure that individuals with disabilities and family members understand that there are so many alternatives to guardianship and that sometimes people only need support with decision-making versus a guardianship or conservatorship. So if you go to our website, under Newsroom, you'll find a link to your show, uh, and uh, at least in Pennsylvania, how to find all the alternatives there are to guardianship and a link to that special committee hearing, that U.S. Senate's Select Committee on Aging, to that hearing, and all of the testimony that was presented at that hearing so people can begin to understand that there are mental health advance directives, there are financial powers of attorney, there are education decision-making under the IDEA, there are health care powers of attorney, I can go on and on, Joyce, but that there are other alternatives besides guardianship, and as we know, advocacy matters, and it mattered to the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Aging that focused on the abuse that can happen when somebody has a guardian. You know, I have a question about that. Um, say that you have a guardian. Um, let's say you're in assisted living, wherever it would be, and you have a guardian, and something happens to you. You have an accident, um, or your the the disability you have maybe it becomes more serious, and you go into the hospital, uh, and and you are really, really in serious condition. Does the guardian have the right um, when the doctor says, okay, look, um, they, they'll have to have a uh, tube to feed them. Uh, there's not really much hope here. I, you know, I don't think that we should work to keep them. Could that person make that decision? So in most cases, uh, you would have to look at those guardianship papers, but in most cases, courts would most likely have granted um, um, uh, full guardianship over people, which means, uh, uh, yeah, they would, unless they're, you'd have to look at the guardian. I would always encourage people to look at those guardian, ask for those guardianship papers, because in some states it may have been limited, and so the person may have retained some rights. The person could have retained some rights, but uh, you, you have to ask for those guardianship papers. It depends on what the court ruled at, during those guardianship proceedings, but in most cases, courts will rule that the person has full guardianship and removes most rights, including oh, the right scary. to make those decisions. That is very scary. Well, I'm glad that you called and gave us this update. Um, and Perry Jude, if people want to know more, uh, they could go to the website. What is the website? 
It's uh, www.disabilityrightspa.org. Look under Newsroom. You can find a link to all of the alternatives to guardianship. And they are doing such great work that, that protects us. So go to that website and make a contribution today. And Perry, thank you. We'll look forward to hearing from you next week. Hey, thanks. I look forward to the rest of the show. All right. Thank you. Sure. Always good to hear this, to know what's going on, uh, because, wow, that is really, as you can see, that's uh, being led in a bipartisan fashion, but it's good to know this. Um, to keep everyone, uh, that's what we're doing. We want to keep everyone apprised of what's going on in this country. So, Jen. Yes. I wanted to ask you about barriers. What do you see as the biggest barriers to getting this adopted in corporate America? Access, digital accessibility. So I think the biggest barriers are around um, where to begin. Um, so both from a, a funding perspective as well as, you know, if if you're new to this space, if you're thinking, how do I get started? What now? Um, I would really recommend that you, um, you talk to an expert in the area of um, accessibility, um, doing some analysis of your, of your program, your company, your offerings, um, your digital footprint, I think um, will give you a good baseline of, of where you stand. Um, and just know that um, as you begin your program, making progress in the area of accessibility um, is really going to, again, be something that you um, do continually, right? It's as you do every website update, every feature enhancement, um, you incorporate accessibility. And so um, I think level setting expectations internally on what accessibility is um, and and how to achieve it, it can be done. It's, um, it's something that I think it also helps to uh, get support um, from your, your leadership. Um, so that's what we did here at Cox was um, we know that, you know, every team has goals and every team has, um, you know, work to be done. And so making it matter um, to the leadership in order to get it pushed down to the teams that are doing the work is, is critical. So um, what we did here was um, we, we talked about the need, um, the opportunity, right? Like as you mentioned, this isn't a small you know, group of customers. This is the third largest segment um, of, of customer base that we can reach um, behind boomers and matures. So, uh, there really is a great need for accessibility, and so, um, you know, just education to to those leaders who make those decisions, um, both from a funding and a prioritization perspective, is is important. I think again, doing that analysis of of where you are um, to understand what needs to be done and develop a program um, internally. I will say for us um, at Cox and, and many companies um, do it all slightly differently. Um, the approach that we took in order to be proactive in accessibility was 
we very purposely integrated the accessibility team within our product organization, and our product organization sits within our technology organization. So my peers are many of um, those who are designing and developing products um, for, for the future. And so by sitting here alongside them, I'm able to influence and help to uh, instill accessibility in the beginning. Again, I think the more proactive you can be, the more um, time and money and, and headache you'll save later. Um, and so being able to be forward-thinking and, and sit alongside um, those peers, I think, has been, has been great. Um, and then the, the support of, of leadership in order to help um, deliver that message within the organization, within and throughout the organization, um, has also been really, really important. Um, I've, again, I've been so fortunate that um, because the very top um, leader, our president, um, is so supportive of what we are doing and, and believing that it's the right thing to do that um, throughout 2016 and this year, we've been able to do a ton of education um, across the organization on what accessibility is. Um, I think it's also really impactful when you're able to kind of put yourself in someone's shoes. And so, um, you know, being able to, whether it be a mobile phone, um, there's lots of apps out there that um, can kind of simulate masking the screen or... Um, turning off a monitor, you know, even covering it with a piece of paper and turning on a screen reader so that um, you can understand what a customer utilizing assistive technology is encountering when they go to the website is also very impactful. You know, a picture or um, a video is worth a thousand words. Um, so that has, been, that has been huge for us in delivering that message. Um, in 2017, last year, when we started the program, we also really leveraged a lot of the um, built-in calendar days uh, around accessibility awareness. So we did an event um, for Global Accessibility Awareness Day last year where we um, kind of sat in our lobby, and you've been there, Joyce, um, where a lot of traffic is, is coming through right down near the cafeteria and we just did demos of both our products and services and the accessibility features within them as well as a lot of the assistive technologies that our customers are using every day in their lives. Um, and so being able to kind of hands-on be able to see, you know, what that looks like um, I think was really, really impactful. And then um, during the month of October during um, National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we had a lot of really great activities here on campus um, to educate our employees. Um, we had an introduction to sign language class where we brought in um, a, a sign language speaker and an interpreter, and we kind of did some simple um, phrases, which was really, really popular. In fact, um, our employees have asked for, for more of that. And um, not just that, but we were able to educate on some of the misconceptions and myths around um, working with someone who is deaf or hard of hearing. Um, and, and I think that was very impactful um, to our employees. And then you all helped us host for our um, talent acquisition team 
some trainings around the recruitment and hiring of um, persons with disabilities. And so uh, we did a number of events um, in October, multiple training sessions, very well received um, across the country uh, with our recruiting um, managers on, um, you know, how to recruit and hire and how to provide accommodations. And again, a lot of those myths and misconceptions that, you know, just, are heard over time, I think, disseminating those and um, just providing education um, is really, really helpful. So the more you can do to bring awareness um, to accessibility, and now I think most people would say that they know what it is, right? Whereas a year ago, I would have said probably not. So I've, I feel like we've made um, uh, great progress in that, and we're going to continue to do that this year. Yeah, and I, um, I am so impressed with your commitment, and she's not exaggerating. It is a commitment from the top down. And, you know, I was thinking about Jenny Lay-Fleury when I asked her this question. Uh, well, you know, what about corporations that think it's sort of like a nice thing to do, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't think we have to do it? Um, and she's, and we're not sure we have to do it. And she said, well, if anyone asks you or says to you, we're not sure, I can tell you they're not. They're not accessible. Right. And it is amazing to me, she was saying, you know, why people would not get this. But what do you do when they don't get it? Like if someone called you tomorrow, uh, Jen, and said, uh, you know, I work for a Fortune 500 company, and, you know, what can I tell them? What's the main reason we should get on board with accessibility? What would you say? So, um, that's definitely true, and I, I, I would agree that there are people, skeptics or detractors, you know, and, and likely every company. Um, I think... Um, Definitely educating them on what it is and how to achieve it. Um, There's always more than one way of making something accessible. Um, So, you know, likely there's the education piece and and the cost piece um, as well. But ironically, you know, as we're beginning to um, work with a lot of third-party vendors, Um, and so, again, some of the work we did last year was in building the foundation for our program was inserting some language into our contracts of our third-party vendors that do work with us um, in order to ensure that they are held to the same standards that we have um, said that we are going to meet as a company. And so many of them will say, oh, yeah, 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 we we do that. We're, We're accessible. We're ADA compliant but they've never actually had the follow-up. And so what we've done or begun to do as a program is we've come in and started to test ourselves and provide them with feedback on their product, right? And say, actually, you know, you're not meeting standards and you're not usable here, here, and here. And I will tell you that so far, the handful um, that we've done those vendors are very receptive to the feedback 
again, I think they, they likely, um, you know, just felt like they were meeting the standards or, oh, yeah, we're doing that, but never really um, had the process in place to, to test to ensure that, indeed, they were. So they've been um, extremely receptive to the feedback um, and have worked with us um, both on, you know, testing and uh, ways of remediating and then the follow-up testing. So I think, um, you know, as a company, if you begin to pursue um, working with other vendors, making them accountable and holding them accountable, um, you know, while they can supply a VPAT, um, can they actually, you know, during a, a quick scan or test, um, prove that indeed they are. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say really is, you know, begin to show that you're serious and that you're committed to this. And um, hopefully um, the, the people at the top see the same value and um, justification in the, in the program that you do. Well, um, I like that you brought up that part about the vendors. That is so important that you brought that part up. That is so important. So I'm glad that you, you did bring that up. Um, and as we've been talking throughout the show, Cox is, uh, in my opinion, you're a very disability-friendly company. W- what do you think makes you that way? You know, there are a lot of corporations in America, but sadly, uh, you know, there aren't as many as there should be. Like, you're like a shining star. What, why do you think that is? Well, um, it, it absolutely is a wonderful company to work for. Um, our mission of connecting our customers um, to the people and the things that they care about most is guided by our uh, values, our core values as a company. So we're committed to helping to shape a better world um, through responsible customer and individual actions, those by our employees. So we firmly believe that our employees are our most important asset. So we're committed to having a diverse workforce that reflects the communities that we serve, um, and we embrace and foster an inclusive environment. So we believe that by building on the talents that come from a variety of people and perspectives, you're, again, making a better product um, for a diverse customer base. So we really, really embrace diversity among our employees, our vendors, our customers, and our communities. So we're continually working to invest in ongoing training and talent development um, opportunities to better empower our employees to serve, um, to better serve our customers. So again, it's from the top and part of the values and our mission um, as a company. Well, and you are part of that. Uh, you know, um, when from when I met you, I was ju- the reason I was so impressed is because you mean it. You know, you, you don't just talk about it; you're delivering. But when people are like that, you know, something has impacted them, either in their life, like someone present, past, or even uh, historic that has been a role model for them. So how about you? Who is your role model, Jen? Ooh, 
You know, that's a hard one. Um, There's so many people um, that I look up to both personally and professionally. Um, I think people um, historically who have chosen a path because it's the right thing to do, even though it may not be the most popular. So off the top of my head, people like um, Abraham Lincoln, FDR, uh, obviously Martin Luther King Jr., um, those come to mind. Um, people who continue to believe in themselves even when other people say things are impossible. So Thomas Edison comes to mind. You know, I always loved that quote where even though he failed so many times, he didn't consider those times failures. He's just said he's found, you know, 10,000 ways that don't work. Um, that's one of my favorite quotes. But so all of those figures are great. Um, and then for me personally, as my grandfather, uh, he turned 95 years old on April the 5th. So um, he is a simple man and while not highly educated, very, very intelligent. Um, a big love for our country. He willingly served as a paratrooper um, in the Pacific during World War II. And he always taught me to fight um, for what I believe in, no matter what the sacrifice is. So. I would have to say my grandfather. Wow. What a great man. Yeah, my dad is 93, and he also was in World War II uh, in the Navy. But Mm -hmm. I want to tell you, that part in the Pacific was really tough battle. So Mm -hmm. uh, what a great role model for you. Well, of course... I'm always surprised when I realize it's almost the end of the show. So before we do end the show, uh, Jen, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, thank you again so much for having me. Um, Time time really flew by. Um, I think that the message that I would want to leave is to keep fighting um, for what they believe is right um, in their roles and where they sit um, in the world. Um, you know, you can make a difference. I think even where, you know, you think you're just making little changes, I think those all add up to really big impact um, over time. So um, from our perspective, we're, we're fighting to ensure that accessibility becomes part of our company's DNA. So it becomes um, just second nature with any of our other objectives and, you know, if they're not thinking about it and they're doing it, then we've we've accomplished our goal. So I think that would be my parting message. Well, a great message. And, you know, uh, thank you so much for being with us, Jen. We end every show with a quote. And, Jen, you know what it has to be, right? <laughs> I do. I love this if quote. You, if you ask yourself, if you have to ask yourself one question, Is it right? Said James Cox. Is it right? Jen, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Joy. And to all my listeners, thank you, thank you. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.